welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome back to the monthly Novi live stream for 12 hours. You are in the final hours and you are here with me, your host Lex, for Lex Talk About It Live, Novi After Dark. Uh, tonight we're going to be doing another GM roundtable, a little smaller this time, a little bit more intimate. My guests tonight are Nate and Joe. Tell me a bit about yourselves, Nate. Hello. I'm the, the DM for the Legends of Lanamore podcast. Yeah, I mean, that's that's why I'm here for this DM's roundtable. Hey. Joe, what about yourself? Uh, in what context? GM context? GM player, whatever. Yeah, no, I'm I am a spastic player, um, and I am dipping my toes in the GM realm. Um, I really like doing these little one pagers for Novi. Um, it's yeah. a lot of fun. I like the spontaneity of it. Um, however, I have plans. I have plans, and I've been developing stories and things like that to do through Novi, um, and. Uh, Hopefully, eventually, uh, one day, I will have my own little streaming of, well, no, not hopefully, I, I will, um, with with Coyote and Crow. Mm-hmm. Fuck yeah. Um, Can and I get a In the meantime, I've been doing little one-shot things-ish things, um, and... One of the ones that I've been planning that is coming up next for a little crew is actually um, in in this realm that we're talking about. It's uh, based on ghost hunting experiences. And so, yeah, it's going to be fun. I'm not going to give like details away about the story I'm building, but um, I felt like that definitely lends to this topic as well as my husband um who normally crashes these streams <laughs> sorry not sorry not um, crashing he's fully invited he, he is um but he comes crashing through the house and it's like oh you're streaming i'm gonna come in and say hi now yes, I'm, I, I got things to say <laughs> <laughs> um but uh we are really collaborative and all of the games that he gms he is GMing th- three games right now. Yes. Yeah, it's down one game. Okay, yeah. He GMs three games a week um, for different groups. And uh, one of them in particular is for kids um, up at the dojo he works at. And so there's Friday night gaming for teens. And um, always around this time, he definitely incorporates horror and scary things into the story intentionally to creep out the kids. And so it's a different kind of challenge of um, tailoring the stories for a group that's between eight and 14 year old or a group that he plays with that it's all adults Mm -hmm. that are like older or like the group that I'm in with him where it's a mixed bag. There's like 20 year olds and then me and another player in our thirties. So, um, well, and it, and you know, that's what we're here to talk about today yeah. is like how to, how to do those things. How do you, 
how do you build an intriguing mystery that like keeps your players curious about what the next answer is, what the next step is? How do you do a body horror in a way that number one is respectful um, and number two doesn't, you know, cross anybody's lines? How do you, you know, approach things like blending real life folklore into D D lore and things like that? Um, I'll tell you right now, the answer to the last one is just skin it on something else. Uh, <laughs> like, if there is if there is some race of creatures that doesn't necessarily exist in D&D, but you really love it and it would fit in the world, especially if it's a homebrew world, just fucking take something similar and throw their stats on it. Call it a day. Give them those racial bonuses. Mm-hmm. But... <laughs> Um, and there's a more nuanced conversation to have there, but yeah, like that's what what we're here to talk about because especially when it comes to issues of like body horror, so often we can run the risk of being ableist and, and being kind of gross. You see, especially like if you just look at not even just tabletop, but if you look at like Buffy in the nineties, um, in the early two thousands, or you look at charmed, like a lot of the times the demons were like, they were missing limbs or they there was one on Buffy who was like super fat and couldn't like bathe himself. He had to constantly have a servant like dripping him with oil so he like didn't dry up. Um, and uh, like you see it all the time with like missing limbs be- supposedly being an element of horror and stuff like that. And it's like there are people who look like that in real life and you're calling them scary and monsters. Like I had a kid that I went to school with all through like middle and high school named Adam. Um, and he was born, um, and he like really didn't have full arms. Like, uh, he had very small arms and he had, like not all of his fingers and like he and he you know had a different level of ability but he was in marching band like he now like works as a photographer i believe like he's out there getting it out there doing it but like yeah like when you portray your monster as like one of the things that's so grotesque and off-putting about them is oh they have a one arm that's like really short baby arm like like scary what was that scary movie too that did that <laughs> Yeah, I think so. Do that yeah. in Left 4 Dead too. Um, Valve, that game, the Charger, has a just one really big arm and one little arm. Mm-hmm. So it's be like the zombie virus has mutated, and that's what one of the mutations is, and that's supposed to be horrific. Yeah, like so often we're seeing like genuine disabilities that like people live their lives with. Mm-hmm painted as supposed to be these like grotesque and horrid things and so like for me my solution to that is no not less of a limb more of it so like (laughs) instead of you know saying he you know had he had no no legs below his feet and he like walked on his arms instead no 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 he has extra feet he he has two thighs that come down and then instead of just having just too regular. <gasps> oh no, is that your drink? <laughs> Saved it. Saved it. I passed the dexterity saving check on that one. <laughs> See, that's, that's the, the basis to all horror right there, thinking you're going to lose your drink. 
That is terrifying. No, 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 no. You're equating drink to virginity there. Remember, because all horror is intrinsically moral policing. (laughs) That's why the slutty girl dies first. (laughs) So in in, uh, last night's game for the kids, um, he uh, was wanting to utilize the rules of a horror movie in with like inspiration points for the kids. Like, like starting out on on the beginning of the game, like everyone gets an inspiration point because they already split up the party. Oh no! And like some of the kids already got another inspiration point because um, like one of the rules is like don't eat or drink anything, like meaning like don't get drunk. But this is like going back to what you were just talking about, like don't take away something, give more. Um, some of the kids had already intentionally injected themselves with alien DNA to see what would happen. Ah! Ah! Maybe we'll mutate in a way that's helpful. Legit. Like they saw what the repercussions were because like another NPC injected themselves to like, it has to deal with the plot um, that someone, someone is um, crap sorcerer. Shoot. I'm probably mixing up characters. Anyways, one of the kids has a patron. That patron is actually like a ghosty type person on in this thing they've been exploring, which turns out to be a spaceship has crash landed on a low tech planet. And so alien ghosty has been haunting the space and becomes a patron. Anyways, takes over the dead body of one of the other player characters who died previously and injects like the, that dead body player character with alien DNA so this patron can come back to life. That means that this dead body of another player is growing new limbs, like expanding head, like more eyes are showing up. And yeah, all this body wasn't built to contain this mm-hmm. type of soul. So, and so it- Standing it, out, and that was, they were all like, oh, that's a lot. But, wait, what happens if I take the same stuff? And Galen was just like, I mean, let's see if you survive it. He got a freaking nat 20, so fine. Yeah! And like, uh, we love a great narrative role. Three out of the four players took the injection and they're all transforming and changing in different ways based off of their dice roll, but they were having to deal with all of that this week. And so he's like, well, you grew extra limbs. You have a big head now. You have the extra eyes. You get everything and your stats switch. And they're just like, freaky, let's do this. And it's like, kids are up for anything. It's hilarious. They'll, they'll take a break and be like, that was really creepy. All right, let's do this now. Yeah. Nate, I want to talk to you a little bit about that. Um, and because, like, I, again, so, like, as we've talked about in my in the previous GM roundtable mm-hmm. that we've done, like, I have more experience with, like, World of Darkness um, and systems like that that, number one, lend themselves more to the horror aspect, whereas D&D is more of, like, a sand, sandbox playground. You can make everything from, like really slapstick just humorous stupid campaigns to really serious dark gripping stories whereas with world of darkness you certainly can get comedy 100 mm-hmm. percent. but 
the lore and the world that exists within those systems already lends themselves to like darker, more horror, horrible storytelling. Um, so like I'm used to worlds that kind of cook in some of that intrigue already mm-hmm. and kind of you come with a certain preparedness when you step to the table that it could get dark and you always have those like session zero conversations, those character building conversations as a GM with your players of like, Hey, what are your deal breakers, bro? Like, (laughs) let me know, like, what are your boundaries? What, what are you comfortable with being fade to black? What do you not want discussed at the table at all? What are you comfortable playing in full color detail? Like, we have those conversations, but once you've had that conversation, then how do you, as a GM, strike that balance of not being hokey and campy with the horror? If you're genuinely trying to use it to like be horror or be super mysterious, like how do you build that world? And what kind of like um, caveat is not the word? What sort of considerations do you make? Um, yeah when it comes to your players and stuff. Yeah. Um, so for me, you know, the, the world of Lanamora isn't... It, the way that I've built the story and, you know, done the world building hasn't lent itself to too many instances where, you know, horror would come into play. Like, horrific things can happen, and those things are usually perpetuated by, you know, a known force. It's not something that's, like, extra... Uh, you know, extra humanoid, I guess, for lack of a better term. Um, It's usually brought about by, you know, experimentation or um, this is a deliberate thing that has happened. And so I think separating the, the deliberateness behind it kind of removes in some, in some ways, some of the horror aspect from it, but it can also bring some of the horror aspect into it. So, I mean, to answer your question going back and forth between you know like we've got all these different themes we're doing a bunch of different um well even not just in lanamora but in other games that you've like gm yeah so i mean we've got we've got two instances from lanamora that we ran into i the the game that i ran in full 5e before this was still D&D you know being 5e but it, i ran uh ravenloft for the legends crew um, uh, curse of strad sorry not ravenloft um so it was it was different because you know necromantic themes and all of that they can get campy pretty quick depending on how you play them um it was you know, like three or four years ago at this point that we played that. Yeah. Um, and I think there are a lot that do, that lend themselves more immediately to camp. Like anytime mm-hmm. you have a Victor Frankenstein type villain or antagonist that is literally, like that again is playing that ne- necromantic play field that's like, piecing together a body like it's making a flesh golem Mm -hmm. essentially Uh, um and so like stuff like that can get can be pretty quick um and i think i think there is definitely a place for campy horror i mean to me that's what 80s horror is Mm -hmm. like 80s horror like the 80s horror film genre is like 
full camp. Like, that's why we love it. That's why we live for it. That's why so many queer... That's my my reasoning for why so many queer people who are into horror are very specifically into 80s horror. Because it is high camp. You have a fucking Chucky doll. You have a doll getting possessed by a serial killer. And, And then you have Jennifer Tilly playing his fucking bride. You have uh, fucking... There's a leather bar in Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Like, Nightmare Nightmare on Elm Street 2 is explicitly gay. Uh, Like, there's so much camp in those. But the, the one where he has the chainsaw on his arm. That Ash versus Evil Dead? That's it. Yeah. 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 Like, there, there's so much camp, and I think there's definitely a place for camp, because I'm that, I'm that person, like, I don't know if it's because I'm too spirit. I don't know if it's just because, like, I am a people pleaser, but I'm always looking to strike a balance. Mm-hmm. So, like, I always want to be able to genuinely, like, make you afraid and have those moments where you're like uncomfortable with what's happening especially if you're playing a hero like and i'm playing all of the bad guys like i definitely want to have moments where i make you uncomfortable but i also want to have moments where that tension is kind of relieved and Mm -hmm. where you can laugh at your antagonist and you can laugh at yourself and your and your um party members um because you you have to have all of that in order to have a fulfilling experience and i think it's important for you know especially if you're in running a horror game to have those moments of quietness and respite so that it just heightens the horror later yeah like if i had to one make one you know criticism of curse of Strahd and the way that it's written is that the moments of i mean it, it's part of just you know the oppression of ravenloft itself and barovia you know Strahd's realm it's very oppressive he is the complete ruler of his domain and so it's just you don't have a chance to rest really you don't have very many chances where you can just you know take a second and breathe and it's just your the, the instances in which you do get to like breathe there, there tried to be. Or it seems like there were comic aspects that tried to be written into it, but uh, for me, they didn't land. It might have been just the way I played them, but I mean, so maybe it was a failing on my part. But I mean, it just didn't have the same effect. I think that I was looking for. Yeah. On the flip side, you know, when I tried to do something with horror, like in Land of War, you were actually on those episodes where I tried to do something horrific. Okay, but you had us make gods, so we just absolutely bodied everything that you put in front. We made, like, level 20 characters Mm -hmm. to do this adventure. Like, these were gods. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Thank you, Izzy. I enjoyed those episodes as well. Uh, They said they they were great episodes. Yeah. I, I, like I had a fun time doing it. I, playing a a Yonti cleric. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I will always fuck you up with some off the wall like character choices and builds. Like that is my favorite. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna come to you. Like I'm I'm prepping a new character for another campaign, and I I have a like I have her personality like so much in me now. I just need to figure out the details of, and it's gonna be a weird. That is what I live for. That is what I live for. I love making characters 
the number one you don't see. Like mm-hmm. we were, t- like I made a tabaxi tiefling. Cause when have you ever been at a table with a tabaxi tiefling? Never. I like taking like these ideas and like just being like, no, you know what I've never fucking seen before? A fucking halfling barbarian. Like just, just do the stupidest, most off the wall shit. Girl. figure out how it gets justified and like Mm -hmm. i do kind of the same because it's all about and like to what you were saying about like having those moments of respite and like i like pacing is the most important is one of the most important points of storytelling period like it doesn't matter what kind of story you're telling if the pacing is fucked like Mm -hmm. it's not gonna be a good story um and then so like but then even more so with mysteries and with horror, like that pacing is super important. Cause if you're just ramping up, ramping up, ramping up the whole time and you're not having those moments of plateau, those moments of respite and those moments of quiet, like if you, it's one thing after the other, you would abandon the quest. Like if mm-hmm. it's one <laughs> horrific thing after one horrific thing after another goddamn nightmare, you'd be like, you know what? Fuck it. All right, if, I'm uh, head out. <laughs> I don't need the Electrum. Fuck you. Fuck your quest. I'm out. Let the planet die. It's fine. I'm retired. These moments where your players and their characters are able to be like, no, yeah, I'm like, I'm growing and this is worth it and we're gonna get to the end. Yeah, and I mean, if you're just putting them up against horror after horror after horror after nightmare after you know horrible thing that's happening to them it's where are the quiet moments for character development so you can see what your character is truly fighting for mm-hmm. so that you as the dm can take it away from them later as part right. of the story right like it's literally it's literally about because i feel like in my personal opinion mm-hmm. in my homo opinion because <laughs> um, uh, I don't have humble opinions, just homo ones. Um, but no, in my, in my opinion, the job of the DM is to create this space, yes, but just to kind of, because so many of us use gaming and make these characters with some part of ourselves in them because if we don't we don't get invested in the story as much and so when we do that there are things that like we're working through in our characters without even realizing it and so part of your job as the dm especially when you're doing horror and stuff like that is to then like hey you've hit them with this horrific thing and now that's gonna fuck with their lens and now stuff that they were already going through in their life that you know because you're players have given you their character sheets like now you can be like oh and now that you've seen this you're thinking about this moment that you had with your father what is your character feeling and and you know so it gives you those moments to have that kind of rich playground with the characters Mm -hmm. just within themselves and not even within the world at large and there and and for that moment the stake isn't, oh, I'm saving the world or I'm getting enough treasure to help my community or to help myself out of this, whatever, whatever. You're in that moment dealing with this 
is a quest that is profoundly affecting me as a person mm -hmm. and you get to have those moments with your characters and i feel like if you don't do that then you just keep throwing thing after thing after thing you're just demoralizing your players and your mm -hmm. power gaming as a dm which is shitty yeah like you're just trying the tpk <laughs> one thing i've been doing a lot more recently with my players just doesn't necessarily have to do with horror or anything like that but i mean i only want run the one game legends um and one thing that i've been doing is doing a lot more one-on-one -on -one quests mm -hmm. um or like you know just split the party i've been splitting the party intentionally a lot recently as and... the dm like they have not been the ones to do it i have been the one to do it and i feel like getting in and really getting those snapshots of the characters and who they are helps to reinforce not only the, the player's understanding of the character but i mean because this is for an audience yeah the audience yeah. is understanding too and their motivations like talk me through this these feelings and thoughts that you're having yeah and so it's fun it's, it, it's i really fun. enjoy that both like as a player and like as a dm like i enjoy doing like usually like i couldn't do it with i couldn't really do it with the witch is dead um because i went over anyway and if i had opened it the way i usually like to open like we would have gone way over yeah. <laughs> but, i don't think a touch of horror in there whenever i became the bag of holding <laughs> and i swallowed a man's heart to yeah. spit it back up later like that was horrific let's be real like it was minor it was little but i was definitely going like hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay like, like now lived experience in me. Uh, I don't know if I like this, but it's not. the mechanic that I imagine the way. <laughs> the way that I imagine that this works, right? Is this poor little toad's tongue inverts itself, like and like so it looks sort of like it looks sort of like a trumpet if the bell of the trumpet was constantly like caving in on itself and like going to yeah and so like it's just, uh, that's not what i needed no, let's try again i pulled out panties this time shut up al and then all of a sudden like he doesn't even feel it through his whole body because his whole body isn't big enough for it so literally what it what it happens is he feels it he doesn't like feel it in physical space until his cheeks are busted and he's like, Bleh. and there's just giant toad belches every time. It's it's very much a Rico from uh, Penguins of Madagascar. Yeah, and I mean, I think that that's a good example too of like, <clears throat> just because like what Joe said, she said that this was like horror for you, and it's like it's it's all about the frame of reference that you're in, like. While that's funny for some people, like, yeah, there is absolutely something that's a, a little bit a little bit fucked up, a little bit horrific about that. And it's like you need to know when you're running horror, you need to know what is what do your players consider horrific? Because it could be one thing for one person, it could be, you know, that doesn't bother me for another. Like, is it do do would you think that it would be a horror game if you're, you know, just going up against swarms of demons that you're able to like just hack and slash through like doom or diablo or anything like that i mean i used to play diablo all the time and i never looked at it as a horror game i showed emily a clip recently and she's like oh that's scary 
<laughs> I was like, this was like one of my favorite games growing up. Like, I just, I didn't really yeah. mind the content because it was, you know, you're supposed to be a hero taking down all the demons. But Well, and my bar for that, like, and it's very interesting, too, because, like, um, everyone's bar for that is in a different place. And... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Recently... I saw a TikTok that was like, every time you meet a monster fucker, you gotta feel it out, because every monster fucker has a different line of where monster fucker ends and full-on furry begins. (laughs) That is one way to put it. But, like, everybody's line for, like, what is camp? What is genuine horror? What is just funny? Like everybody's line for that is different. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like same for me. Like if it's just a demon being mean and bad, like that's not horror mm-hmm. to me. Um, if you're gonna do like like I much prefer thrillers, psychological horror. Like yeah, you can give me like bodies that are collapsing on themselves in inside their own belly button and it's just whatever whatever cosmic shitty things that i'm like Ugh. but if you really want to affect me with horror like it needs to be psychological it needs to be that oh yeah like this guy is you know killing people and stealing their faces but he's doing it because his mother was a sex worker who was, you know, brutalized and murdered and there was no justice for her or any of her friends that died. And so he turned into a serial killer who, you know, kills men and erases their face because that's what was done to his mother and their friends. You know, like, give me motivation in my antagonists and give me something greater than I'm just a bad, evil guy and I want the world to burn. You know? Um horror especially like psychological horror can come in subtle moments as well um last month uh nathan actually accidentally did it to me in a game that was not meant to be horror but whenever you were like and your insurance problems i was like oh that's too real oh no i'm panicking Uh, now like i can't like i've been fighting insurance all week this is too real because that's horrific in a very different kind of context And then in a different, and mind you, both these examples are very much influenced by me as the player in those moments, but a different moment in uh, another game, the party had encountered this uh, new NPC and the situation and very Peter Pan inspired. And so she's passing around pixie dust. So everyone in the party can fly. My character loses composure. And so far up to this point in the story, like the rest of the party had never seen my character freak out and become violent. She was always very timid and scared of everything, but she suddenly like grabs a sword and goes after this other character. And everyone, including the GM was like, the fuck was that? And I was like, you don't know what pixie dust is made of because instantly for whatever reason, my mind built this horrific thing about pixie dust that it, so essentially like the tanning process with Mm. the little pixie's skin is what creates pixie dust. So 
for her being of fey lineage, it was an offense to see humanoids using pixie dust. It was just like, That's she's not- murdering pixies! <laughs> It's not unlike what the magicians did with fairy dust. Yes. Um, fairy dust is the ground bones of yeah. fairies. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I had, like, these intense visuals as the player to motivate me into action, freaked out the rest of the party, and they were just like, why? And my character explains, and even the GM was like, that's way more fucked up than I was thinking things through, but I'm keeping that. We're using that from now on. Okay. And now it's part of the world. And, of the world. and that's the thing is like, and, and, and I think at tables with established chemistry, it's a lot safer to do that. And that's the thing to also be mindful of is like, when you are coming to a table and you don't have like a longstanding relationship, even a lot of times if you do, like you still need to like respect the people at your table. And so like, if you have a thought and this isn't directed at you, you just brought yeah. if you have a thought that would fundamentally like affect the world but like it's like literally just have that moment of like and and depending on the style of the table like i when i run tables i'm always i i like to like have like a a, some sort of signaling way that we know like we're talking out of character i like to have a way that people can tell me hey i need a bathroom break i need a spoons break i need a something like we tripped something blah 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 so if you want to call it, hey, I need a quick break and pull me because you don't want the rest of the table to know, but you want to pull me aside and be like, hey, I have this idea for this thing. And it would fundamentally like have to be woven into the lore of the world. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's dope. I'm going to listen. Like, <laughs> this is a world that we're all playing in. We should all have a say in how it works. Like, I shouldn't be like as the dm like yeah i should be the person who thinks about the world the most but i shouldn't be the only person thinking about how things work in the world and if one of my players comes to me with something that i don't have a plan for and that i haven't thought about and it's dope as shit i'm gonna be like yes motherfucker and thank you (laughs) like Because what's the point if we're not all having fun? Yeah. I was wondering how that was going to work. Thanks for the... Inspiration. Thanks for the inspiration. Yeah, thanks for the tip. Like, you know what? I have been struggling with how that's going to happen for weeks. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Like... Yeah. You know? Ugh. It goes to, like... When you're writing your worlds, too, like, you've always... I mean, at least for me, I, I always have this idea of what the big bad is, what the big bad does. And it, you know, if you've got an adventure module, obviously, you know, your, the motivations of the the big bad, you know, you know how they're going to do it. You know, all how to get through them. A to B, B to C, C all the way down to Z. Um, but in a homebrew setting, especially too, um, you know, I've got my ideas for what I want my villains to be, but my players are the ones that are picking out the things that are really the true atrocities. Mm-hmm. Right, your and your players are the ones that like determine what threads get picked up. Mm-hmm. Like, like why is this villain still a threat? Like there have been villains that have been brought in and then dropped even in legends. Like there's, we don't talk about one of them anymore. Is he still out doing stuff? Who knows? Um, don't worry about it. <laughs> they just stopped pursuing that thread, and that's fine. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I figured out what they cared about and what they thought was really bad. And we're, we're going to keep riding that. Yeah. Like, and, and that's the thing is like, once you start to learn your players and once you start to like have a sense of the world that you're playing in together as a group, like shit is not as hard as you think it's going to be. Like dear listener, if you are sitting here worried about, Oh, I don't know how I'm going to DM. Ask me how much prep I did for the game that I GM today. Like 10 minutes of prep. I did 10 minutes of prep for that game today it's i mean but uh, it's yeah and it's a it's a one sheet so they are definitely a lot easier and like i had the benefit of having players that were great and like would pick up a thread and would run with it and would you know kind of weave stuff in and and i was playing real fucking fast and loose with those rules i was like this makes books read aloud it also makes rugs talk if the rug has a face. But, but like I wanted I wanted my players to have at least the opportunity to do something cooler than just make menus talk. Like I mm-hmm. wanted to give them an option that might move the story along better uh mm-hmm. and would also like make them feel a little bit more dope. Like with like mm-hmm. cuz like Bringing, having the potential <laughs> to bring a deer bear rug to life versus making some menus dance and talk, like, which one do you want to do? Deer bear rug. Right. Every time. And sometimes that means that the deer bear rug is just going to do the work. towards <laughs> you across the floor and I was like, well, I didn't mean to do that. Um, <laughs> sorry. It was a very, it was very much like, are you my mama? Are you my mother? Kind of moment. Yeah. I think. Um, Which I think is horrifying in its own right. It is. It is. I had another GM do something similar to me uh, in a game a while back now. Uh, He, we rolled poorly while we were camping in the woods at night. And so we had a green hag or one of, one of those bitches. Probably a green hag. And she was in a form of a little girl, but she kept like latching on to my character being like, mama, give me a kiss. And and I'm like, you know, I hate children. Why? (laughs) It's funny to see you squirm. You're horrific. Get it off of me. And yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like there's so much like knowing and th- and that that's a big piece of advice that I would also give to um GMs out there is like if you really want to run a successful mystery or like horror game, like you need to have a table of people that you know. <laughs> like go ahead, what were you? I mean, you're 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 allowed to disagree with Well, right? no, I was I was thinking about something else. I was I was thinking about the most important rule for running a mystery. Mm. What is the most important rule for running a mystery game? The most important rule for running a mystery game. I'm going to tell you this right now. Oh, um, guys, this is the secret insider knowledge. Secret Get insider you, knowledge. All right. Get your notebooks ready. You know where you want your characters to start, right? You know. In the conservatory. 
Yes. You know what the <laughs> you know what the ending is going to be. You know what the logical conclusion is. Mm-hmm. Don't write anything in between. Your characters will come up with it themselves. Yeah. Easy oh my peasy. god! They, they, time and time again, every freaking I think twelve week session that person person has to do beforehand he's so inspired he offers them like three different choices of what to do and he has the framework for all three because he's insane and pre-plans like a son of a bitch mm-hmm. kids will pick <laughs> out one of them and then he'll go back and spend an entire week like planning out like this story and everything and then he lets them loose in this world that he builds and they go crashing through every which way and it's well, Godzilla that bitch every mm-hmm. single time he's like well um I probably should not have planned as much and the worst the worst and best time of it was last year around this time we ended up calling that campaign Grand Theft Chariot <laughs> because he was wanted to put them through like this like Hades redemption story and resurrection and all this really cool st- nah those kids decided they were going to be outlaws, kill guards, and like one of them almost like was hanged. And like the anyways, it was nuts. And the Halloween special for that was hilarious, Ooh, and God. so much screaming, so much screaming from them, like being scared and excited. And like no, they wrecked house on his story every single time. And he's mm-hmm. just like they're having fun, so I don't care. And I would really say, like, I would really say, like, and, like, there are, like, you do want to do some planning as a GM because there is that element of fun, like, leading them down these paths and, like, them figuring stuff out that you laid before them and saying, <laughs> yes, pick up the crumbs. Like, that is. So you sure of- you want to go down this hallway without a torch, right? <laughs> like, literally. My favorite thing to do every time, like some, like Ace or Joe was like, or or Emily was like, oh well, could I? I'm like, that's certainly something you can try. <laughs> you, you know what else is a great a great well, thing for your toolkit? A rope, baby. You yeah. do with it what you will, and if it's hang yourself, there you go. Yeah. Learn this trick too. Okay, go on. Oh, uh, <laughs> sorry. I thought you were gonna give us a trick. Um, that that was a trick. Just like, um, yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna roll something back here real quick. Okay. Okay. What are you doing? Yeah. (laughs) What are the, like, then in part of, uh, I think this was part of the session yesterday. Um, but they're still trying to figure out the mystery of the spaceship without knowing it's a fucking spaceship yet. Um, so oh, they're shit. dealing. Oh, shit! Oh shit! They're dealing with technology, and so they think it's magic. It's that kind of. It, anyways, um, they finally figure out the door system, and someone's on cameras in the the intercom system, and they find a room that is just covered in blood from head to toe. And one character was like, "Nope," and fucked off. And another character was like, "I'm gonna go in there anyways," and by themselves. Yes. Yes. And this is how you get turned into a hashtag, bitch. Person, person was like, are you sure you, yes. Like we need to really make sure. And then the kid that was on the monitors was like, can I see if there's anything in the room to at least warn them? Roll for it. (laughs) And they rolled well. And so they were able to inform like there's nothing in there. I'm still going in there. You're going to get a bloodborne disease at this point. Stop. Do you want hepatitis C? Because yeah. you're about to have it. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, but it 
like for me, if I like, I would have been like the first player, the 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 girl that was like, nope, room full of blood. I'm good. I know what that smells like. Like that's what she said to their group. I know what that smells like, and left. And I was like, oh honey, Period. you probably just confused the fuck out of the boys in your group. But that's fine. Ah! Um, but I would have been like. Mm-mm, mm-mm, that's a note. But then one of these little boys was like, I'm gonna go in there and check it out. Double check. Okay, okay sir. Mm-hmm. So she cared about the horror of that, whereas he didn't. And there was just players, man. They will do some crazy stuff. Yeah. Well, and it's also like, you know, people are looking for their moment. And then, mm-hmm. you know, as a GM, like and that's the thing is like I like I I like to try to give people like um, places and times to shine, <laughs> but you also will have people that just like pick it and they're like, "This is my moment." And it's like, "Baby, is this your moment? Do you really want to do this?" Like <laughs> when Emily left Ace to go into the house, I was like. I'm going to be obscenely nice right now because I could full kill Ace for you just abandoning them. Yeah. <laughs> like, and and that's and that's the choices you have to make as a as a as a GM is like I I don't ever want to be adversarial. Like, yes, I am my player's adversary, but I'm also their advocate. Like, mm-hmm. I am my whole job is like. I have the imagination to come up with a world if we're doing homebrew stuff. Mm-hmm. And I want to share that world with my creative friends who I love so much and I want to go on an adventure with them. Mm-hmm. And so like, yeah, are like as a GM, like do, does a part of you want to TPK maybe a little, I don't ever usually like to, um, but I'm also a, a GM who's like, you play stupid games you win stupid prizes like you will be facing consequences for your actions um consequences are important and i think that's something that i think i've been thinking about this since we've been talking about it i think it's hard for me to run a truly effective horror game because one thing that i think kind of defines you know the gameplay in a horror game itself is that you've got to say no to the things that your characters are trying to do a lot and i really want to say yes all the time yeah like how can i help you do this thing that you're trying to do and in in horror or you know any sort of you know situation uh, dire situation it's like if i truly wanted to push that this is you are in, in dire straits you are in desperate need of help yeah, you can absolutely roll a sleight of hand to see if you can pickpocket this guy that's walking by and, oh, he does have a health potion. You're right. You're fine. Like, yeah, it's like you got to give just enough desperation, a, a little bit more as a treat so that they feel a little more scared well, in their situations. Where, yeah, like we saw that in action today with the fucking mimic chest that I like made up in this fucking... Mm-hmm. Like, and I was just like, literally, like, I need some kind of dos ex machina that is going to, because that bitch was about to body Ace and Stitches. And I was like, I need something. Uh, and so, like, I quickly thought up and reskinned, like, three weapons from, like, 
Digimon and Xena and stuff and like just like reskinned them in like a tabletop context in my head and I was like okay roll me a d6 <laughs> like um like and like that's the thing is like do I think that some people are intrinsically more well suited to running horror than others absolutely mm-hmm. but do I think that it takes a certain kind of person to run horror no like they i mean they can't be like squeamish or easily triggered like i know people who i would never want to play in a horror game with because so many things would be off limits but even Mm -hmm. me who likes a bit of horror like i am not about to deal with graphic depictions of clowns or cockroaches because i am deeply phobic of both of them Mm -hmm. um and i would just spend the whole time in a state of panic which isn't fun for anybody yeah Yeah. at Uh, the end of the day you still want it to be fun. Yeah. And that's that's an interesting line to walk. Like, I want to scare you, but I also want to scare you in fun ways. Yeah. This is fun for you. You come uh, out of this and you feel like this was a good experience, not this was a bad experience, but it was bad things that were happening. And that's mm-hmm. an interesting line to walk. And then, like, when you go in to build your adversaries for these kind of, like, horror games, like... What sort of things are you keeping in mind? I know, like, for me, like, you you always want your shit to be a genuine threat. Because, mm-hmm. like, what's the point if it's not? Um, uh, so, like, you definitely, like, build them with beefy stats or whatever. But you also, like, you have to have stories to a degree. Because they're not going to be interesting antagonists. And they're not going to be able to hold your players or your audience's attention if you're doing this in a context where you're like have an audience like we do um because hey we do this professionally um but like how do you then think about these villains and sort of their um motivations and backstories and things like that especially if because i know for a lot of people they don't run like full horror campaigns. Like a lot of people I know, like they'll have like, especially if it's like a long running campaign or a campaign they know they're going to be on for a while, they'll have like certain bosses and certain things that get very kind of horror and terrifying. And then like, okay, then it's our standard line them up, beat them up sort of thing. And so in introducing villains or mysteries that you want to like what's the thought process for you guys um and how you hook your players and audience there uh with the campaign that i'm building to the little mini campaign that's gonna i'm gonna start running soon um it's all ghost hunting uh ghost story based things and with each one of the sessions, designing it, depending on how the characters behave and what actions they take will determine which mystery they need to solve. Um, but having options, like an array of options in the background that I can feed off of. And again, it's all coming from like archetypal stories. So everything will feel familiar but just be off is what i'm really focusing on to drive the intrigue of like okay i I get it but it but it's still unanswered and so how do i answer this question 
how do I solve this mystery to fix this little problem? And hopefully if I do everything right, like it'll all coalesce at the, the final episode into something terrifying. <laughs> if it all plays out right again, like that's, that's me stating a lot because it, a lot of it's really, uh, determined by the players and what paths they choose and how they respond to the stimuli. Mm -hmm. But they're like drawing on archetypal bases and riffing off of what they do with those familiar stories and having like a, a lexicon essentially of spooky things to, yeah. to sprinkle around will keep everything scary, but retain the mystery. Mm -hmm. I hope. Yeah. I think as far as like, crafting the antagonist goes for me the like it's, if it's going to be over the top make it over the top like make it grotesque and you know whatever it is make it grotesque make it you know just otherworldly unfathomable uh, but not in like a cosmic horror type way not in like this is one of the great old ones it's not a fish god um, <laughs> But in the way that it's like, who would who would commit such atrocities? And the important thing is to show the atrocities and the horror in such a way that it's it makes sense what the stakes are. But then, so that's the easy part. The hard part in making an effective antagonist, I think, is showing the humanization and how that humanization has been lost. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. like all of the most compelling villains think they're the hero of their own story. Mm -hmm. yada, yada, yada. You relate to them when you don't want to. Yeah, right. like, like, really, that's like that's something you start to learn as you get older. Mm -hmm. Like, at least for me, definitely. Like, there have been so many villains now. In my, like, I can remember like when I was young thinking. They're so mean and bad and awful. And like now as an adult, I'm like, I can see where they were coming from. And like, did they go about it the wrong way? Yes. Are they completely in the wrong? No. Like, mm -hmm. I can definitely see their justification for some of this and how they would go to this extreme from what they were experiencing and feeling. Mm -hmm. And that's um, the difference between the antagonist and the heroes of that story is that, you know, I mean, some of the things that player characters do in game could be labeled as horrific. War crimes. War crimes. War crimes. Like, like <laughs> yeah. It very possibly could be labeled as that, and you know, it's. But at the end of the day, they still see themselves as the hero. They can't. They can see the you know a little bit of shades of gray in there, but for the villain itself, seeing those same shades of gray is conflicting and it's hard to imagine and if i can see any good in them can i really call myself good if i see that same dichotomy there and 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 i think also like it's so important like and you absolutely can have black and white morality in tabletop like that's what you prefer mm -hmm. go for it mm -hmm. absolutely i want to empower you to have the experience that you want to have i personally don't prefer it um, because like nothing in life is black and white and mm -hmm. i think having those shades of gray in both your protagonist and your antagonist like i 
like I I can't stand a Mary Sue like Mm -hmm. I don't like it when you have somebody who builds this cleric or this paladin who's just so devoted and they stay devoted the entire time and they never question their faith and they're never made to reckon with like crusades that probably happened in the name of their god like they're you know like um there there's always more that you could dig into there's always more that you could do because like clerics and paladins like depending on like the school that you're from they're fucking zealots like they're religious zealots Mm -hmm. like and like playing on that is important especially when you are like in a world that has multiple like pantheons and like worldviews and religious views like mm-hmm. playing on what some of the antagonists or NPCs feel about the god of your cleric or paladin like that's powerful stuff and that is in, that like uh, psychological in, thriller of it all in the game where my character is Feyborn, um there was another character was very key word there was a character who was almost a mary sue definitely had black and white opinions of this universe we were playing or we are playing in and uh it ended up like my character and his character kept butting heads because he was the god of monster slayers and i'm coming from a fey world where like everything's not the same and then another one of our player companions ends up joining a pantheon of like monster gods and so there was this for him morally corrupt thing happening around him all the time with his closest friends and allies and it just it fucked the party up for a while because we ended up just challenging him over and over again of like why was that monstrous just because you say so it's a different culture you weren't your sky daddy says that's not right and it was just like over and over again and like it got to the point where the character was unplayable and the player had to like let the character loose into the world and he built a new one and fun new person added to the party and so that's its own thing but our our party now is dealing with some of the repercussions of that other character running rampant without like the supervision of everyone and it's it's we've come along just that's stuff. that's <laughs> so neat to get to be able to do though yeah. especially that's- if everyone's on board with it and everyone's like cool and chill with like the outcome like because that that's an appropriate that- character loss yeah. right like that, and that's another major thing conversations hard. around it to make sure everyone was okay with what was happening like make sure that the one character crazy ass send off but like everyone was cool with how that character was sent off into the world and anyways but yeah it's and that's another thing that's super important to note about like having tables with good chemistry and tables with people that you know and love and trust is like you can have a vision for something and like but like at the end of the day tabletop is fucking improv and you are all yes anding each other and you are climbing as much as your gm will let you and then sometimes your gm cuts the fucking rug out from underneath you um but you have to be able to have those conversations about like okay i cannot any longer 
realistically play my character within the parameters that I've made them and have them continue to be a part of this party. Mm -hmm. How do we solve this? Mm -hmm. If you don't want to roll a new character, mm -hmm. then we start talking about how we either write this dude off or this dude is going to have to go through something that mm -hmm. so fundamentally shakes them to their fucking core mm -hmm. that they change their fucking beliefs. And so like, but you have to have those conversations and, and, and it's just like the same thing with body horror. And like, if you aren't having a good time, you need to let your, your fellow party members know, you need to let your GM know like, Hey, mm -hmm. I'm not having a super great time. Like here are some things that I think could help me better enjoy it. Like whether that is like having some development on something in your backstory or, you know, like, just like figure it out. Yeah. Um, going along with the body horror theme, uh, I, because you mentioned that it made me realize like the breaking point for that character for a while he had, sorry, it's kind of random, but he, my character gave him a title in her court, which meant he gained wings and extra powers and things like that. And, but because of his choices and this, that, and the other, my character revoked his title that is the only thing i said like i am revoking it to make him stop this attack he can't keep attacking this king like he has to stop he's no longer this thing and him and the gm ran with it and so like his wings were ripped away from him but would keep growing back injured and so for a while he kept describing like these injured wings and i'm like that's horrific and he's like i know right and i'm like okay if you're fine with it but my character like has so much guilt <laughs> like i'm just gonna say he's like well good and i was like all right fair fine that's a thing but yeah and then like it comes up later again of like horror stories of like this evolved version of his character like still having the scars of the wings is like a trademark of his and i'm like that's so fucked <laughs> To look at the two of them and be like, you did this. And they're like, well, you caused it. Oh, all right. And you helped. <laughs> hi, 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 hi. Like, yeah, it's very that. Like, you have to have those conversations at the table and away from the table as well. And like, mm -hmm. yeah. 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 What would, within the confines of, let's say, D&D &D for argument's sake, what would you consider a fun horror campaign to run? What would be your dream horror campaign? Um, Go ahead. Hang on. I don't remember what it's called. It's one of the new books that came out that's like Feywild meets Wild the Wild Beyond the Witchlight? I think that's it. Yeah. Um, just because it's it's right there and like what I'm familiar with at this moment. And I'm not the most like up to date on all the options out there, but... I feel like the circus aspect of it just mm -hmm. lends itself to so many different kinds of psychological tropes mm -hmm. to horrify people in a safe-ish space. Mm -hmm. I definitely think um, stuff set in like Feywilds um, and, and so like my favorite way to kind of play with horror and do horror, like I like to mix like cosmic and cosmic horror and kind of like that fantasy kind of bigger than life horror stuff with just the horror of 
opposing moralities. Um, so like when you're in somewhere like the Wild, which has a fundamentally different moral codex, and there is just a different social groundwork laid, you take like a human and take a human judge or a human juror or knight or whatever, put them in the fake court and let them see how like a fake court doles out justice. And they would be horrified at the types of justice that fae are divvying out. And they would be calling them crimes and horrific and terrible and nightmares. And the fae is like, no, that's like a light punishment. Like, so just that kind of like juxtaposition of like moral grounding being objectively horrifying and like shattering <laughs> to mm-hmm. like a character's like fundamental understanding of like what decency and like kindness are and so like i much prefer horror that while it does have this sort of physical in your face aspects it also like goes deeper than that mm-hmm. yeah i yeah. think i would well, if I had to run any sort of horror, I think I probably would lean more to like cosmic horror, like extra planar, plane, you know, jumping, shifting, whatever. Yeah. Like start off in a small place, but small sphere of influence. And then as you pull out, the characters just uh, start to learn more and more that they have less control over the things that are going on and there's just that feeling of you know whatever it is is impending doom existential dread what have you like this is just feels insurmountable but yeah i was gonna say i'm also very much into that sort of um isolation and growth horror Mm -hmm. where you kind of like where you have you know somebody who like gets stranded alone in space or stranded alone in the wilderness and they're having to overcome just the horrors of how do i survive when i don't have this skill set and mm-hmm. i have to either do it by myself or learn to trust people who like i was just on a tour bus with or whatever the fuck um like whatever your justification is if you have a party throwing them together or if you just have like one person i love that stuff where it starts out and the horrors are just the things that are happening to us as we try to survive but then as we're surviving we're and getting better at it we're catching glimpses of something else Mm -hmm. and there's something roiling underneath it because there's like lost lost at sea lost Mm -hmm. in space lost in the forest there the the horror of just what you have to do to survive mm-hmm. and the things that you don't know yeah there that that sort of just brilliant well to have to pull from where they're dealing with the horrors of like they have a frostbitten foot and they have to cut that shit off like they have you know this happening and they have to do that and they're just trying to survive and uh oh there is a pissed off forest deity who like is tired of the deforestation for goddamn paper products or you know, that way like i just really love something with a lot of fucking meat like i like i like to have the ham the salami the turkey the spicy mustard like you know i like all of those flavors together give me those layers give me those yeah. meaty layers 
it's really what and and, I, and it might come from me being a creative but like I just I love rich characters that exist in even richer worlds mm-hmm. and so like when you're able to whether it's as a GM or a player like play out that kind of stuff where like I have my surface level shit going on and there's something else going on that I haven't even scratched the surface of yet like yes please give me good soup <laughs> good soup um, here's a question to piggyback off of that too because we both kind of touched on it you and you and me Lex um, with the the unknown the unknowable what do you do when they get too close? How do you define the unknown in these instances? Well, and if we're talking about the unknown as far as like concepts and like deities of like, oh yeah, like this is the unknown entity that's supposed to be my BBE G at the end. For me depending on the setting, but I like to take that and make it into a character moment so you can flip it into, okay, they're getting close, especially if we're speaking in a horror context. So they're getting closer and closer to this existential, infinite, unknowable deity, right? That's gonna cause some serious self-doubt and questioning. Like, that is the perfect time to kind of turn that on your characters and have them bitches roll insight on themselves, which is the greatest thing to do. (laughs) Love a self-insight roll. You're going to do a mindfulness exercise and you're going to hate it. Well, because any way they roll, it doesn't matter if they roll well or roll poorly. They're going to get fucked. Sometimes they might just come out of it feeling better about the fucking. Like, anytime you insight on yourself, like, that's a fucking trip. And so you can always, when, whenever you have somebody getting close to this sort of, like, really big existential thing, that's when you have the red herring. That's when you, you know, as a GM, as a writer, you take that moment and you're like, okay, you're getting really close to this thing that you thought wasn't really real, was maybe just a concept, and maybe now it is real, and fuck you, now you have to deal with all of this, and the implications of that, is how I would personally do it. I think it's... But how do you deal with the the characters approaching the unknowable? Yeah. Yeah, I don't... At least for the world that I'm currently running. The... I want everything to be pretty grounded. So probably the the biggest thing that was unknown would have been the thing that we ran into in the Frost Feast anomaly one shot. Yeah. Where there was, you know, this anomalous thing happening and this rotten fucking pocket dimension. What is it? And it's so as you all got closer, I mean you 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 sealed it, you stopped it, but the the main thing that I wanted to do, the main takeaway that I wanted to have for you all is that you beat it back, but the mystery's not solved. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Something's still not right, but everything seems fine. Mm-hmm. Right. It's so that you, 
And as you get closer to the unknown, the door shuts. Yeah, it's like that. It's like that, you know, eye shimmer mm-hmm. at the end of the, at the, like, you know, at the end credit scene. It's mm-hmm. that, it's that, it's that one moment of like, there's something that you could have known here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the door is slammed shut on yeah. that knowledge. You got an answer to the first question, but then you got three more questions as you were locked away. Yeah. I think, yeah. That's how I like to handle it. Like, there, there's just, you're not quite there. You thought you thought you were, but you're not quite there. Right. There's definitely more to the story. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, I, I, well, sorry, I think it's important that, like, if you're dealing with a true unknown, the characters aren't ever going to know the whole story. Yeah, because you as the GM don't. Yeah. Um think with the, the story that I have planned, um, if through the choose your own adventure, they get to that point where there is that possibility that they've done everything along the path to try to confront that big unknown. I, I have like a localized catastrophic event that will happen, which is essentially the door slamming shot that they've rattled things around enough that everything behind the scenes is going to rattle them back hard. Um, And they won't get answers beyond that because they just will, hopefully I have triggered a survival instinct in them. (laughs) Big old asterisk next to that, hopefully, because again, player characters. Sometimes you walk into a room covered in blood and you're like, I'm going to look around. Yeah. So, um, that that's going to be my first attempt, and I we'll see how it goes. But that's how I'm thinking about it ahead of time. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. And like you said, if if they go that route, this thing will happen. The door will be shut, and hopefully, they'll be questioning a hell of a lot more and leaving breadcrumbs along the way to want them want them to ask. Yeah. I have two other scenarios for how I would may deal with the unknown that I've just thought about. <laughs> Number one of two. They encounter the unknown. They fathom it. The unfathomable becomes fathomable, but it's really unsatisfying. Mm-hmm. To the point yeah. that you think that there's more to it, but you've got the whole picture and it's just too simple to be the answer right it's that thing of like sometimes people do shitty things for no other reason than the fact that they're shitty and they Mm -hmm. don't feel good and they want you to feel as bad as they feel and sometimes the answer isn't any deeper than that Mm -hmm. and to be to have that tied to like to have that tied to a villain that is a person is one thing but to have that tied to some sort of Right. Monolithic idea or ideal or theory, and then it's just a simple answer, I think could be a good way to handle that as well. Yeah. The the last way, and I think the most difficult way, would be throughout this the whole campaign, whatever series, one shot campaign, arc, what have you. Yeah, whatever you're doing. However whatever you're, you're doing, however you're doing it, you've woven all of the clues to the nature 
of the unknown throughout the entire story. And then at the point where they would know the unknown, you draw the through line and show them this is everything. This is all of the points that this is. Mm-hmm. We've been with you this whole time. This, this was this, this, this was this, this, this was this. But that's a lot harder to do. That takes a lot of planning. Yeah, that, that takes a lot more planning and adaptability. So like that takes, you know, you've been pre-planning sessions and they've picked up those breadcrumbs, but they didn't pick up those breadcrumbs to follow to that. So like that, that is where you as a GM, like, and we talked a little, uh, like you touched on this with, with G of like making these storylines and he's like, oh, well they're having fun, so I don't care anyway. Like for me, like if there, if there are like, if there's shits that I want them to see, but I don't want to be accused of railroading anybody. Yeah. I just like I have multi like there's more than one way to Walmart. Yeah. So like I plan the thing that I want them to have and then I try to like lead them to it without having to like strong arm and be like, Don't split the party, go west. Like no, like if you choose to go east, we're just gonna take a different road and we're gonna there's gonna be a different way to get to that plot point. Mm -hmm. Um because sometimes I put work into things and I want you to find it. Like, Yep. <laughs> I did that with the prequel campaign. We did. I gave yeah. them two options. You could go to the Elven City. That's basically a nature preserve um, for wild beasts. Or you can go to the Dwarven Mining uh, City. Uh, and they chose the Dwarven Mining City and the cavern that was at the back of either of the cities went to the same place. And it's just the same maps. <laughs> Didn't make two maps, just made one map. Yep. All the Why NPCs... Two maps when you can just make one map? Yep. All the NPCs were the same, had the same table. It's just, what what flavor do you want your starting place to be? <laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. So Yeah, I think... It works out. I think a huge portion of it comes all the way back to like what we said in our first GM roundtable of like the cornerstone of any good game is respecting everyone at the table Mm -hmm. and having that communication, knowing that we are all here to have fun and play in a world and build it together and collaborate. Like all of that is great. Mm -hmm. All of that is fun. Um, but also, like, I, it is hard, like, for me, like, it is hard, especially, like, having been a player more than I've been a GF and knowing, like, what it's like to be like, no, like, I want this to work so bad. I do, I mean, I don't, I mean, I feel like I was obscenely kind in the game that I GM today, but I think Emily would probably disagree. Ace <laughs> might disagree. Ace got hurt so bad. Ace got hurt. Ace got hurt, but to be fair, like Ace rolled like garbage the last half of that game, and that's the thing is like I like I could have really laid in, yeah. but I was like no, like I don't. It's not the point. Like I want y'all to bring your mistress back to life. Like I want y'all. Like I'm not after a TPK on this mm-hmm. one sheet game. Like no. Yeah. 
I mean, I'm that's shit I'm not supposed to do and making shit up as I go along. Yeah. But I, I do, I feel like I end up being a lot nicer than I probably should a lot of the time. I'm like, I try to find ways for my players to win. And I should be a lot more of like, you get what you get, baby. If you like it, I love it. Like, you want to do that? Go right ahead. Um, but I tend to give a lot of like, well, you could do that. Or you could, you have this skill that you could use to do this. I mean, it's um, still the, that balance of, you know, we, during that game today, we, I, I shouldn't speak for everyone, but I mean, I definitely felt the urgency mm-hmm. of the moment Good. which came about through the collaborative storytelling and mm-hmm. uh the urgency of like i can't herk up the stuff fast enough and they can't i can't, up it. I can't find the right stuff to herk like, up I'm, I'm so nervous i keep grabbing onto the wrong thing and my friend is getting beat up by viney bitch and my other friend just ran off into the house like a scared cat what right like, Situationally, it, it all fed in together to drive those moments of urgency. And, um, and you had I, good narrative roles the whole time, too. It was like, if somebody needed to figure something out, you had it. Until yeah. it came to barf in the right product. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then narratively, it was like, oh my God, she, she, he, can't, he can't get the stuff out. Like, stall for time, stall for time. Like, yeah. Yeah. And that's another thing too, like with getting that sense of urgency in, I mean, it can be done in a number of ways, but, you know, not every encounter has to be combat driven. It can be yeah. something like that where it's, uh, this is a, a scary situation that you all are in. It's not necessarily, there were combat aspects to it, but I mean, it was still, we've got to find this stuff. We've got to find this stuff. We've, we've got to putting into this you know um and you were working towards a goal with a time limit rather than Mm -hmm. the goal being ending the witch the goal was get the stuff out of the toad right like the fight the fight with homegirl was completely a product of killing her boyfriend which Mm -hmm. they had to do to get his heart don't get me wrong but like also, the fact that you had a cat, a fox, and a toad standing around being like, how do we dig a heart out of a human? Right. That was... <laughs> that, was... that was probably you being a very generous GM as you had our crow friend come down and yeah, take the out and be like, here's some magic. Whoop, a plant gave it to you. Yeah. Like, I literally, like, I didn't, I didn't know how y'all were going to do that. So I was like, let me just be very kind to, yeah. to you guys and that- I will say that was the kind moment that you gave us. Still, <laughs> that the plant then like extracted the heart out, still beating, and you all looked at Toad. Mister Toad would be like, "Okay, swallow it now. <laughs> it's still warm and juicy. It's the worst. I'll swallow this." Yeah. <laughs> I think that there was another kind moment with the with the owl. Uh, there were a lot of avian yeah. moments, yeah. kind <laughs> avian moments. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um. Definitely. Definitely. That's been the. Hold on. You know what the through line of today has been? What? Kind birds. Kind birds! There was herringbone in uh, Adventure Skeletons. Herringbone was barely in Adventure Skeletons. But herringbone did drop the sword, and then they got more bones. 
So we had herringbone as a bird. I guess we can count doing as he was told to be kind. Yes. Uh, Hey, herringbone could have been an asshole. Then there was, you know, the witch is dead, which went great. There were the two birds in that one. Next, Mm -hmm. we had unkindness. Which also had birds in it. Now mythology had foxes, which mythology you could you could say are birds. <laughs> you could say that. You, you could say foxes are birds. Say that. You would be wrong. No. But you, you can absolutely say, say those words in that order. Yes. Um, <laughs> string those words together. In All right. So order. my 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 whole plan well, didn't work. Kindness. It ended with them pooping in in a dude's mouth. I literally, for a second, I literally just forgot that they were birds, and I was like, "Yo, why is everybody down for shitting on some dude's car? What?" And then I was like, "Wait, they're birds." And now all of a sudden we're shitting in people's mouths, which again, an aspect of horror, like. You know, you don't have to be running a horror game to have aspects of like horror and and squickiness in your. Yeah, birds, benevolent animals, I guess we can say, because the foxes. Yes. Yeah. The foxes were good babies. The foxes were the foxes were good babies. Hey, well, there well the hey there was a fox in the witch is dead too. There was. Yeah, there was. Now my head can and has that like little kitchenay that followed everyone through the mountain is like now the little guardian up at the shrine at the top. Yes. Sorry. Excellent. I love that. I love that. Yay. I love that. I love that for us. I love that for that world. That's super fun. Um, yeah, so like okay, we are winding up here. But yeah, like what are um I would say, what are your hard, like, what's what's the stuff that makes you hard lean out when you're engaging in mystery or you're engaging in horror with your GM and with your friends? Like, what are the things that make you go, yo, no, like, you're li- like, so, because for me, it's just like gratuitous displays of like bodily fluids dismemberment like just cheap kind of shock value stuff Mm -hmm. like it's fine to have it once in a while but to be describing this room and we're coming in and it's just dismembered legs and like arms hanging from the ceiling and blah 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 blah. and the chandelier is made of intestines and candle like no like that's 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 a lot and honestly it's more camp and it's not even good camp but mm-hmm. um that makes me lean out um as always adversarial gms make me lean out really heavy like i get it like y- like there were moments where i was like no emily you can't roll that like this is what you're gonna roll um, like there's sometimes where you have to, as a GM, put your foot down and be like, mm-hmm. I'm not giving you that. You have to, you have to work for it. Yeah. Um, but just to, uh, like, just to be one of those GMs that like stacks a baddie with legendary resistance after legendary oh, yeah. resistance yeah. and legendary action after legendary action. And like, fuck you, my guy. Right. If that's how this end result was gonna be, and you knew it, then you needed to like get us up on that level to deal with this. Like, 
You right. let us come into this battle wholly unprepared. Thanks. Because yeah. that's the thing is like, even if you like, so like, let's say you are level seven party members and you're fighting a level like 13 monster. Like that's doable. If yeah. there's like, if there's like five of y'all, yes, five level seven motherfuckers, like y'all can take on a level 13 baddie. But if you give that level 13 baddie five ranks of legendary resistance and this many fucking legendary actions, like you're just looking to kill the party. And like, that's, that's not fun. Like, it's okay if like we end up dying. Like I'm all down for a dramatic death scene. Like I'll re-roll a goddamn character. I don't care if we're in the middle of the campaign or at the end of the campaign, I'll re-roll a fucking character if narratively it makes sense but if you were just a dick and stacked the bad guy and all his goonies with shit mm-hmm. fuck you like i think mm-hmm. that obviously encounter building is an art and not a science and i think that especially with like high cr monsters and stuff like that like if the party is even thinking about doing anything like that, you've got to, like, as the DM, it's your responsibility to give them some insights from a friendly party, like someone yeah. who has their interests in heart. Yeah. Someone, like, give them advice from all sides. Give them, you know, the lowdown. Like, is there someone they trust? Can they say, this isn't a great idea? Or is this, you know, someone that's trying to hurt them and say, eh, well, try your best? like trying to egg them on but as far as like the actual encounter itself goes once they've made that decision yeah i think i think that the the cr itself yeah is i don't i don't use crs i don't use any of that stuff i don't use the i barely use the monster manual um i look at what narratively is the story that i'm trying to tell in this moment and how does it best suit things moving forward does this cave troll now do 2d12 damage with a slash attack sure is that what cave troll normally does i don't know does it matter is it gonna scare the party can they take it like and that's and that's another thing is like you you have to kind of make those decisions on the fly like Mm -hmm. uh the witch is dead like you don't roll for damage in the witch is dead usually but also like these are familiars going up against actual people like i have to stat that out a type of way like i have to figure that out yeah um and like it's one thing to like have your baddies built and have them on the road to seeing that baddie but not prepared for them to fight them that session Mm -hmm. and your party members decide no we're doing it like that's a wholly different thing from getting to a point in the story where they're coming up on the bad guy or one of the lieutenants of the bad guy and you're like i'm gonna fuck with the party and just like intentionally stacking him and his goons like there's a difference between those two things like if Mm -hmm. we as a party make the stupid ass decision to punch above our weight class on session three when we have 
three spell slots and fucking healing word and that's fucking it bro six like, hit points between that's you. on us that is on us and you know what i deserved it <laughs> a cautionary tale for the next group of travelers right and so. that's when you can do that thing of like yeah no like mm-hmm. you can definitely have like people they trust even people they don't trust who hear about it and they're like that's a fucking stupid idea like you can have like random strangers that they don't even know so horrified by the if, if it is something that you do not think that your party is ready for like have people be horrified when they hear that that is their plan because like holy fucking shit please don't do this i don't want to be put in a position where i kill all of your characters and the campaign is over or at least if they are dead set on doing it have a have some way that they can pull a record like something that that not a deus ex machina like not every time sometimes it's fine but like have some way they can pull the record maybe multiple ways Um, or some other way that they could creatively, feasibly take that monster down to. Yeah. Um, that's... And that's the other thing is like, as a GM, I enjoy rewarding creativity. Mm-hmm. Like if you have a spell that you're using creative as shit, like one of, <laughs> one of my favorite, most wicked, most creative ways to use the create water cantrip is um, one of my favorite examples is when they were like, I use create water and create water in their lungs and drown uh, to drown them. Because like, that's a cantrip. Like I don't have to try to hit your AC. Like you yeah. have to like, that's just what happens. You have to do a constitution saving roll to see if you can cough out all of this water that I'm putting into your lungs. It's one way um, to do it. And so, like, like creative shit like that, I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like, fuck me up. Give me some creative shit. Well, and even, like, I will, as a GM, like, offer things. It's like when Emily was, like, trying to hop on homegirl's face, was like, well, you're really, like, realistically, you're not close enough that you would be able to just flat foot leap. But... Mm-hmm. If you're willing to take this risk and do this danger, like there's a lot of reward on it. So it's, and there, there's a lot of carrot and the stick that gets played when you're GMing, mm-hmm. I feel like as well, especially in like mysteries and horror games to kind of, cause you don't want to ever be like, no, you can't deviate from this path. Cause this is how I ever wrote the fucking mystery. And if you don't find this clue, then you mm-hmm. can't feasibly solve this. Like, no. Yeah. You need to give people options. You need to be, you, there is more than one way to Walmart. I guess the way I view like campaigns in general too is that like you've got the carrot and stick analogy. I see horror as carrot and stick. One carrot, one stick. I see non horror campaigns, just regular fantasy campaigns, as one of those cartoon sticks where you've got like eight different hot dogs on one stick. But they're all carrots. You got eight, eight, eight carrots, one stick. Here's all your breadcrumbs. This is the one stick that I've got. You know, whatever you all want to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like, we could talk about this 
forever. But I do, yeah, like, I, I think when looking at horror and mystery specifically, I think the biggest quote-unquote rules um, would be, you know, definitely keep that communication up, even more so than usual, especially if you're playing in those psychological areas, especially if you're dealing with, like, issues of self-worth or, like, stuff like that, like, like while that stuff can be genuinely horrifying like or even if your character is just like a living bag of holding like if somebody has like purging feels like that like the way that i played that for mr toad could have been severely triggering for for someone so you want to make sure that you're doing those check-ins of like hey like is all is everything good is everything gucci are you still having a good time are you still feeling safe but yeah so you just want to make sure that you're keeping that communication together more than even your baseline probably um and also if you are a planner and with mysteries you kind of have to be um not necessarily with horror but you definitely have to be at least a little bit of a planner for a mystery Um, what you want to do is like, you don't want to get locked into this is the path to solving this mystery. You want to have, I would say more of a flow chart than a roadmap when it comes to that kind of stuff. So like you want to be able to bob and weave and like, oh, they picked up this thread, but not that thread, but they can follow this thread back this way, which will lead them to that, which will then bring them, give them another chance to hit that thread. Mm-hmm. And you know, some threads don't get picked up and that's fine too. Like you have to, mm-hmm. as as the GM think about, okay, what, and like Nate, you already said, like what characters are we enjoying? What parts of the story are we enjoying? What parts, don't we care about okay fuck those parts of the story they're not mm-hmm. part of the story anymore you know oh you don't like this rogue xanathitu that i have made and put 20 hours into but you like boblin the goblin okay here's your new npc there you go any any last thoughts to leave our dear listeners with um the most important thing especially with horror and mystery i think is have fun with it be respectful to your players you know and um you're all there to have a good time so if you're not having a good time you're doing it wrong and examine that dig into it ask why yeah your players will tell you if you've got good players they they will tell you and if you are a good gm and making them comfortable they'll tell you like Mm -hmm. that's the thing it's like the mark of knowing you're a good gm is like the same as like knowing you're a good friend it's not all of the good things that your players and your friends tell you it's the mark that they are able to come to you when they are uncomfortable or when they're not having a good time and trust that together you'll fix it so many people think telling somebody that something that's quote-unquote negative or quote-unquote a criticism is bad and no it's not like that's part of growing and playing and learning and just being human beings so like Mm -hmm. we need those critiques we need those like honest dialogues of like yeah i'm having a good time because this that and the other or i'm not having a good time because this that and the third you know like you can't just sit there and be miserable and then make everybody else miserable by proxy because like 
it's very obvious when somebody is not having a good time at the table. Like, I don't know about you guys, but I can always fucking tell when somebody's like, yeah, fuck this. I guess I'll do that. Like, you know? Yeah. I mean, you'll have a better time yourself, too, as GM, knowing that everyone's having fun. Yeah. yeah. Knowing that people are engaged, even if, you know, it's not... I mean, it can be fun, entertainment, you know, whatever emotion, so long as it's on the spectrum of entertainment, I, I guess. Like some people like to be scared. Some people like to be, like to have feel good, happy, fun sessions all the time. Some people, lo- some people love just fucking slice of life bullshit. Yep. Some people love that cottage core. Some people like the hack and slash. Some people want to absolutely eviscerate just hordes and hordes of baddies. Yeah, some, some people want genuine dungeon crawls. Some mm-hmm. people want like high fantasy adventures. Some people want urban fantasy homebrew shit like you just you have to figure out what stories you like to tell as a gm and dungeon master Mm -hmm. and then you have to find the people that love those kinds of stories and can help you tell compelling ones Mm -hmm. and it's okay to not jive with somebody at the table Mm -hmm. that that, that's another important thing that i want to put out there is like if you as a player are uncomfortable with a gm or other players or if you as a gm are uncomfortable with players like bring that shit up it is okay to be like hey love your energy and i see what you do but i think our play styles are just too different to mesh like there is a way to do it without saying I think you're bad at this game and I don't want to play it with you because like, it's not that they're bad at the game. It's just that they're playing the game in a way that isn't conducive to the way that you play the game. And if Mm -hmm. it's your fucking table, you have to address it. Yep. And there is a lot of Otis on the GM. And I, and I don't think, I don't think people realize that a lot. Like people, players are always like, I, I want a table. I need a GM. We need somebody to run for us. And it's like, Running is a lot of work. Like even if you're not even if you're not putting mad prep into all your sessions, like it's still a lot of work to be responsible for the, moving the story forward and for making sure you're maintaining a respectful space and a safe space for the whole table, not just in what you say, but what people say at your table because the buck stops with you as the GM. Mm-hmm. Like whether or not a player can stand up for themselves, like I hope they can. Everybody should be able to stand up for themselves. But if they're not, for whatever reason, that's your job as the GM to be like, hey, that player was speaking or they were about to do something. Let's resolve that before we come to what you're doing. Or, you know, like, so there's a lot of emotional responsibility that uh, GM takes on that I don't think, especially those of us who have never GM'd, realize. Yeah. It's work. But if you put the work in, you can make it fulfilling. Absolutely. We did it. There is nothing more fun than, like, coming up with this world and then riffing and making it better and just having a good fucking time with your friends. Like, I love that. I love, for a moment, all of our minds being linked and all of us just like, okay, yes, and then I can do this. And what if, in the world, this is how this was structured? And what it, you know, like, there's... Just that, just that creative flow, man. Mm-hmm. We love to see it. I mean, and yeah, I, Nate summarized it really well of like, make sure you're having fun and everyone else around you is having fun because that's going to be where the best storytelling happens. Because, mm-hmm. hey guys, I don't know if you knew this, 
But the G in TTRPG stands for game. <laughs> it is supposed to be fun. Like, it is a goddamn game at the end of the day. There, depending on the system, it could be stupid amounts of math and algebra, or it could be... Not hard. Or it could be one die, or one fucking sentence, you know? Like, it just depends on your system. Nice system. There's a system out there for everybody, Mm -hmm. and there is a playgroup out there for everybody. Multiple playgroups for most of us. Uh, And with that, I want to thank you, dear listeners, for joining us. I want to celebrate the fact that we have fulfilled our goal for donations to the Legacy of Hope Foundation. Thank you guys so, 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 so much. Um, Donations clearly are not limited to this stream. Please, if you are listening to this episode of Let's Talk About It and feel so moved, please go donate to the Legacy of Hope Foundation right now while you're listening. Um, You can find them at legacyofhope.ca. Period. Because they base out of where? Canada. And apparently they need their own web address. Uh, But thank you guys so much for joining me, Joe. Any parting plugs or wisdom that you want to leave with our dear listeners? Players, be brave. You can GM too. Um, And uh, once again, um, you can find me on Instagram at littlestargirl. That's me. You'll see photos of my cats um, and uh, some art adventures. Um, other than that, I work with a nonprofit called Solid Stance for Unity and Community. We bring um, the clarity, uh, self-empowerment, and uh, fitness of martial arts to disenfranchised communities around the central Arkansas area. If you want to find out more, solidstance.org. Um, yeah, that's what I got. Otherwise, um, hopefully in the coming months, I will have new contents coming out at Novi. Yay! Ah! <laughs> very exciting i'm really excited for the for these yeah. new projects nate please leave us with your parting wisdom my parting wisdom is um As my eye tries to escape my skull <laughs> <laughs> yes it's very good uh, my parting wisdom to you all dear listeners is <sighs> i mean i guess just don't leave your car window open when it looks like it's gonna rain you can find me on Twitter at underscore squid toaster. You can find me on Legends of Lanamora podcast at Lanamora Pod and here on uh, Novi Twitch sometimes. We do these uh, monthly live streams and uh, we do it at the, the, the last Saturday of every month. And um, so we're, I mean, if you're here on the feed, you know what the, the handle is, I guess. But for those, for those that are of listening, you listening via the Let's Talk About It podcast, yeah, so we are Novi underscore studios um on twitch on twitch on, on twitter, twitter we are uh novi underscore studio with or you can check out our website at um www.novistudio.io uh this is the first time that we've plugged the website in a while uh all stream even but yeah you can check us out at novistudio.io we've got um uh, links to all of our pages, all of the podcasts that we've got going on right now. Currently, we are running 
Legends of Elena Mora Season 2, City in Snow Season 1, which is this, they are sibling podcast set in the same world, 127 ages apart. We have Lex Talk About It, this show that you're watching right now. We've also got What's What with Dilly and Dally. And in 2022, we've got some new projects forthcoming. So keep your eye on this channel, audio listener. Um, and I'm going to hand it over to Lex because I don't do the sign off for this show. Oh, it brings me joy to watch you fumble every single time a promo is passed. I live for it. Listen, uh, you got to make it memorable, baby. Hey, memorable and unintelligible. That is your, <laughs> that is your style. That's my brand, baby. Hi. <laughs> Thank you, dear listeners, so much for tuning in. Thank you, those viewing on the Twitch stream, for your donations to the Legacy of Hope Foundation. It is something near and dear to my heart and Joe's heart as indigenous descendants and people of this land. And I just, I want to remind you, as always, dear listener, the only thing that you owe to the world is the same kindness that you owe to yourself until they have proven that they do not deserve it. And I don't care what you have done in your past you always deserve kindness from yourself even if that kindness is you doing the work to change what you need to change because that is the greatest kindness that you can give to yourself is the ability and the room to change thank you all for joining us please be on the lookout for some super secret new projects i have coming with Novi. Uh, and yeah, if you like my voice and, and want to see me play more games, you can uh, tune in tomorrow when the first episode of Employees Be Damned premieres with Brain Adventures. And I'm hopefully going to have some of those castmates on. Let's talk about it soon. To talk about the process of making that and what that was like for us. Again, I want to thank you guys so much. Know that I love you, and that I hope this world gives you what you need and what you deserve. Have a beautiful night. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.